Mom, hey, Mom you want me to Mom, so he's picking on me. If you know your party's extension, please dial it now. Houston, we have a problem. Sick of all this complaining <gasps> all the time. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome back, everyone. After our great episode with soul and trauma healer, Nicole O'Neill, we decided we'd delve into an offshoot on this topic. And for this episode, that is toxic traits and how they can be holding you back from healing the trauma in your life. But before we get into that, Liz, what are your pump and flat moments this week? My pump moment this week, so this summer, we've been trying to do some different things with the kids because, you know, one of the advantages of Danny and I being home is that we don't have to worry about, okay, you need to be covered from eight to five every day. We can do kind of some different things with them. So last week, Avery and Brady took a digital photography class at the Zulo Gallery taught by the wonderful Kurt Jackson. And so, yes, it was so awesome. And they like, they walked around town every day and took pictures. They took pictures from, you know, the little roof deck they have there. They went to Rocky Woods one day and took pictures there and got super cool pictures of frogs and lily pads and nature. Um, Brady dropped his camera in the pond and Kurt fell in trying to retrieve it. Oh my God. So, So anyway, they had a blast. And the last day of their class, they did a little art show and they, uh, Kurt printed out a bunch of the kids' pictures and had them on display out on the roof deck and it was so cool and oh and so I should also say that as part of this class Kurt taught them how to use um, photo editing software so they did some super cool things with their pictures and just seeing what these kids and they're all kids it was I think grades four to seven what they captured and just the cool stuff that they did to the pictures. It was really, really neat. Bonus, I got to meet a listener of our podcast while I was there, which was lovely. So shout out Christine. Thank you. Very nice to meet you. Um, But it was just super cool. And the kids were so proud of the work that they did. And, you know, Kurt's amazing. And he, you know, gave a little speech at the end of the show, just talking about how much fun they had and how interesting it was for him to see things the way they were seeing them and what they were, you know, what they wanted to capture and all that. So that was my pump moment. He is such a treasure for Medfield. I know. He really is. Yes. We're so lucky that, you know, my kids have taken a bunch of his art classes. Avery and Brady will be at the after school program next year that, that he runs. So, so just grateful to have him to have those art classes to have the gallery like we're just really as a community I think very lucky to have those resources yeah my mom got to meet him that's right in um kindergarten or first grade um for map Mm -hmm. and help him out at map because Mrs. Hedberg wouldn't let her help out in the classroom even though she filled out all the quarry farms and stuff and your mom was a teacher yes (laughs) for 27 years anywho she had a blast helping out Kurt and it was on his birthday no less and he didn't tell anybody and I was like Mom, I think it's his birthday. It was Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. And one of the teachers went home sick. So he actually really needed my mm-hmm. mom. And she had a blast. And so she always asks, is he still around? Like, yes, <laughs> yes, he, he is. is. He's I know. a staple of Medfield. Yes. So if anybody has kids that, that are of the age where they can take classes from him, I can't recommend them enough. And he usually does them throughout the school year too. So um, my flat moment, the actual moment itself wasn't a flat. The events leading up to it were, so I just wanted to, I don't know, it'll all come full circle. But anyway, as you know, my son struggled quite a bit this past year with one teacher in particular who I won't name or name the subject or the gender or anything because I'm not here to 
discredit anyone, but Will had a, a pretty negative experience with a, a specific individual um, at school that really deteriorated his self-esteem over the course of the school year and kind of caused him to not even really demotivated him to even want to participate in this person's class or complete any work. So it got to the point where, you know, I felt like as a parent, I needed to intervene somehow or advocate for him. And I think the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because I think as parents, we struggle with when is it appropriate to intervene on our kids' behalf. And I usually take the side of, all right, well, you know what? Like, you just sort of have to figure out how to navigate life at some point, And I'm not here. I'm, I'm here to help you along the way, but I, I can't. Uh, I'm not always going to be there to, you know, snowplow your path to whatever you want to do. And especially where, like, the age that Brayden and Will are now, like, they do need to start figuring things out on their own. And they do need to figure out how to advocate for themselves. Yes. But in this case, I felt as a parent that I would be doing him a disservice if I did not advocate for him and he needed to know that that I and his dad were in his corner. And so at the end of school year, I ended up sending an email to the principal and the vice principal just outlining the experience that he had with this particular teacher and just the negative effect it had on him. And, you know, I, I just tried to be as fact-based as, as possible and, and remove as much emotion from it as I could and just sort of plainly said, you know, hoping that he has a more positive experience in eighth grade. And um, I did say that I would prefer not to have my other children have this teacher when they get to middle school just because of the experience our family had. And so to the principal's credit, he followed up with me and we connected with him, Dan and I, the other day over a Zoom, you know, and it wasn't meant to like rehash everything that happened in the past. It was just for him to get a better understanding of what would have made Will's experience better what to look out for in eighth grade. And, you know, now it's kind of on his radar. And we made sure to tell him about the positive experiences that Will had too with, with his teachers and which is great. all that, which is great because a couple of his teachers just really, really like yes. stepped up to the plate and helped and were terrific advocates for him. And so again, it, the culmination of the story is it ended on a positive note and we are optimistic that he'll have a better experience, you know, going into eighth grade, but it just the impetus for that conversation was definitely a negative and, and, a, and a struggle for me as a parent about how, how involved do, do I get here? You know, and I think we just always start. I know you've had that same struggle with coaches, with Brayden and things like that. It's just when, when do you say, hey, this is life, kid. You're going to have to figure it out. And when yep. do you go, uh, this just isn't fair. And, you know, because of that, the coach experience mm -hmm. and us realizing we should have intervened earlier and it was probably because of his age too it's one of those life lessons you learn as a parent yes and because we only have one that was our mm -hmm. okay well that was our learning moment and now that you know you have learned sort of with Will and obviously Avery and Brady are totally different kids but mm -hmm you might be able to navigate better with them, you know, right. and navigate the waters. But you're right. It's so tough because mm -hmm. you want them to be self-sufficient. Yep. You want them to, because as we've said before on this podcast as well, our kids have, it's not always because there's helicopter parenting going on all the time, but there's been a helping hand, yes. a heavier helping hand there there for them than there was when we were younger yeah. yep and so they are more reliant on us even when they're independent mm -hmm. if you understand what i mean yeah and, totally and so for instance a weird thing happened today and i talked to my husband about it 
And he goes, well, Lindsay, this woman fell on a curb um, in front of Brayden and I. And she was an older lady. Not super older, but probably 60. Mm -hmm. And I was too far away and I had my hands full. Mm -hmm. And I was... I, th- I was like, oh my gosh, are you okay? And in my mind, I'm thinking if this, that my child should run over there and right. grab this woman and pick her up. And I don't know if that's like my utopian like <laughs> outlook of like, that's how I raised you. Right. And that's what you should do. And the lady got up pretty fast yeah. and she was super sweet and she came over and she goes, yes, I'm fine, but... I- you could tell she probably wasn't so fine, but she was asking me a question about the meters and Wellesley and all that stuff. <laughs> and so after she left, I said, hey, buddy, you know, in that instance, next time, I guess, you should, you know, go over there and see if you can help her and do it pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And he goes, okay, mom, but that's never happened. And I, like, thought about it. Interesting. Like, he didn't have any, like, instinctively, he wasn't like, oh, I should go help. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, that's never, that instance has never happened in my life. Mm -hmm. I said, okay. And then I kind of was just like, but I've raised you well to, like, do things out of the kindness Mm -hmm. of your heart. And I said, instinctively, if someone were to trip and you needed to help them, would you go help them? And he goes, well, it depends on who tripped, which (laughs) made me laugh really hard. And he goes, if it was one of my friends, I'd probably laugh. laugh. And which made me laugh. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what about grandma? And he's like, well, I'd help her. But that, like, that was a stranger. So then I got home and I talked to Brian about it. And he goes, well, honey, we've always taught them stranger danger. Mm-hmm. So you, you're kind of like, we have never told them to go randomly up to a stranger. And I go, yeah, but I guess... I go, I don't know what I was expecting, but I wasn't expecting him to. Like, I think he was, he had a concerned face, Mm -hmm. but he didn't make a move to go start towards her. Well, and I think that that's also a fundamental difference because, you know, having the benefit of having three children, I can see the difference in birth order and all, all that stuff come into play. Like, for example, I asked Will one morning to feed our cat Cooper and he said, what do I do? And I'm like, Jesus Christ. So, (laughs) and so like, it was, I was like, why bother? But I asked Brady, four years younger, can you feed Cooper? And he just went and did it. He didn't have to ask me anything. He, you know, knew enough to clean out the bowl and put it in. So, you know, when you have multiple children who occasionally have to fend for themselves, I think that they just sort of figure it out. And Will also, he's more self-conscious about making mistakes and doing things wrong so and Brady. Brady doesn't care. So I that I think that plays into it too that you know we have these expectations that like come on at this age don't you know better? Yeah. But I don't I don't think they do. Their brain their little brains are still developing. <laughs> <laughs> Which gets me because I'm like you're old. Like right. you're getting so old. Mm-hmm. I know. So anyway, that's uh, that was my deal this week. So how about you? What did you so, have So um my pop was great. Um last Friday my business partner and I worked a half day and made an effort to um see some old co-workers on their boat in Rhode Island. Fun. It was super fun. And we had to pat ourselves on the back because as one of our colleagues said, it's a really a feat these days to get four adults who live in completely different areas, who are married, working, have kids or dogs or both, to get them in one spot on the same date and time. Mm -hmm. 
and then to figure it out during the summer that's slipping away from us, that's another miracle. And especially also the summer's been filled with mostly rainy days. Yes. And we ended up with like the most perfect Friday by accident. We went and worked in Rhode Island at my business partner's house Mm -hmm. and she lives in this cutest, cutest town. And then where our co-worker's boat, he was in the next town and he has this cute little speedboat and we went out um, and he showed us all these sites, which was awesome from the water, which Cheryl hadn't even known from the water point of view where things were and like places she'd always wanted mm-hmm. to go. Fun. And so we did a little tour, um, had a beer on the boat and then came back and she had to go to a baseball game um, and I came back to go out to dinner with Brian and it was just a really nice day. And it was one of those things that like how we talk about when it fills you up mm-hmm. of like, this was good. And it was like, even when we were talking about like old things from our old work, it wasn't bad because we were with such good people mm-hmm. that we were like, we're going to all work together again someday. You know what I mean? Yep. So it was awesome. Yeah. And a reminder about like what the what incredible relationships you have with people in your life. And yes. Just, yeah. And it was just, it was amazing. And it was like catching up about their families mm-hmm. and how, you know, just amazing, amazing stuff. And yeah, it was, it was awesome. Oh, that's great. And then the, and the other thing too, also, as you get older, this is the one thing I also noticed is that for, at least for me, like neither age nor sex can, is a barrier. And it's kind of like the coworker that you mm-hmm. had that retired. Yes. And because both of these guys, um, like give us unconditional love and they are mm-hmm. way younger than me and Cheryl mm-hmm. and they have the utmost respect for us one's married one has a very long-term girlfriend um one's married and has a baby or a little boy and it's just like this is this is just We're just awesome. all hanging out yeah. yes but my flat is this delta variant thing oh. it's really harsh in my vibe list <laughs> I'm concerned we're going backwards, as I'm sure many are. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want or need school to look like it did last year. Terrified of that. I don't want us all to go back to quarantine life. And there is so much misinformation out there. And it's so hard to wade through all the bullshit. It is caused, is it caused by the non-vaxxers? Is it not? Is it just a totally different thing that they haven't quite worked out yet? They're just telling us it's a strain we need to worry about because I've heard nothing but breakthrough cases. So the shot that was 90% effective is not. It's 70, 70% effective today and tomorrow it's going to be less mm-hmm. then some days the news says let's get boosters but really you only need it if you got pfizer well i got pfizer so do i have to worry about this it's so exhausting and yes so crazy and impossible to keep up with and i, I was at the cape this past weekend which is is turning into a little bit of a hot zone if you will and i oh my god said, it's on the news every yeah, single night i know um and it's still like where my in-laws and my brother on brother-in-law and sister-in-law are isn't quite as bad as like the it's, southern part yeah. of the cape however i asked my sister-in-law i said have you started seeing more people wearing masks down here and she said this past week it has been a lot more noticeable she said i see a lot more people wearing masks in the grocery store and things like that and it's definitely like picking up kind of steam down there and I feel terrible like I told 
my kids, guess what? You don't have to wear masks when you go back to school in the fall because that's what we were told a month ago. And yes. now it's looking like that's not the case. And so like, I just re- I really feel bad for, for our kids. I do it's too. It's just really frustrating. And literally I was at Braden's school picking up his like report card and some other thing. And his principal was like, well, at least we don't have to wear masks in school. Two weeks later, mm-hmm. not two weeks later, the news changed. Yep. And I, I knew it. I was like, Seriously. Mr. Principal, you shouldn't have said that. Because I was like, well, the news changes daily. And there it is. Mm-hmm. And now that we're going away, and because of this uptick, Brian and I decided, and we and B asked, mm-hmm. to get Brayden vaccinated. And it's been tough because we aren't anti-vaxxers by any means, but we wanted to get more information yes. on this, mm-hmm. as we've talked about too. Yep. Especially for boys who are having this heart issue Mm -hmm. before we put this junk into our kids. I know. And it's like you feel like you don't have a choice. Yeah. And it's like, all right, well, I mean, I don't, I don't want my kid to get COVID. Yeah. I don't want, you know, so it's, it's yeah, it's just, and well, again, now it mm-hmm. seems like it because now on the news every night, it's just like, you need to get it. Yep. Even kids. And it's like, oh, jeez. I know. It's just, it's frustrating not having any consistency of information, yes. which I get, but you know, things change every day. However, it's. As a parent, you know, we've we've talked about it before on this podcast, decision fatigue and all this stuff and your mind swirls and you're just like forced to make choices on a regular basis for your family and you hope that you're making the right ones and maybe two weeks from now you realize that wasn't the right one or now there's a new decision to make and it's like it's right. frustrating to keep up with. Right. Speaking of toxic junk <laughs> being put out in the air, the world, etc. We're here to talk about toxic treats. And those related to self-awareness and the path to your pursuit of happiness. Now, one might ask, why would there be any toxic traits associated with me trying to better myself? And we kind of asked ourselves that same thing. But your pursuit can be so dogged that it actually creates a toxic behavior that can push loved ones away. What's interesting is that when something bad happens to us... We have some bad years, which after the last few, (laughs) I think everyone can relate. Mm -hmm. We turn inward and start to self-actualize. On the lifecarewellness.com blog, they explain how we deal with the trauma or PTSD in our prefrontal cortex, where our most important decisions are made. But with trauma, we shut down this portion of our brain. Our prefrontal cortex basically goes offline from high reasoning and response. This part is important when we dive into the self-help and betterment of our lives because then we go too deep and the traits become toxic. So the first trait we'll get into is number one, you are constantly trying to figure yourself out. So this means that you can be physically presenting present during any event or thing, but you aren't really there. You aren't really present. You're trying to understand who you are constantly, buying all those self-help books, buying (laughs) any kind of book to figure out who you are, what you are, what you want to do. You just aren't in the moment. Is that a little like, like almost feeling like you're a chameleon, like you try to like blend I in. I think it's. And... I think it's that too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I know quite a few people like this, mm-hmm. unfortunately, and it's sad. I feel like, it, you know what it reminded me of when I was reading this is The Runaway Bride. When yes. Julia Roberts, like, keeps meeting these different guys Mm -hmm. and she's like oh now I'm you know I'm preppy and I like I like my eggs this way Mm -hmm. and now I'm um you know wholesome and I like egg whites with vegan cheese Mm -hmm. or whatever so that's what it reminded me of and I think it's part of that too you are constantly trying to run away from the moments because of silly stupid things. Mm -hmm. So number two, you overanalyze your relationship. If your spouse or your partner does something nice for you, you overanalyze thinking he might have done something to you. (laughs) (laughs) And I think this, like, this was me a long time ago because I had a boyfriend who, long-term boyfriend who was not great. And so it's you fear rejection and abandonment. So this can lead back to some past relationships for you when the exact same thing happened, but you are with a completely different Mm. person and you cannot accept that this time it's different. You're making them pay for the mistakes of someone else. Yes. And so interestingly enough, Brian had a girlfriend before me who was a big cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater. And... She sucked. And (laughs) so I think when we started dating, Mm -hmm. he was like, oh no. Like, so that whole Mm -hmm. thing came up. Yeah. And for me, anyone that I dated after my old boyfriend, Mm -hmm. all these things came up. But after we were going strong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you're in the right relationship. Yes. Yeah. And there was none of this. Mm -hmm. So, but I get it when people have constant bad this is this is one that is for the people that just have bad relationships, I think. And also probably don't have strong self-esteem. So yeah. you don't see that you're worth, worth. something better. You yes. see someone, I'm always going to be treated like this because I'm not worth more. Yes. Which is really sad. And, and it is sad. And I have, I have a, a good friend who always picks bad. Who always picks bad. Mm-hmm. Or lets, lets them pick her. Yep. And it's always bad bad dudes like being treated poorly is better than being alone at least someone thinks i'm worth something yes yeah it's yes i it makes me very sad number three you repeat affirmations but don't believe them this was kind of one of my favorites because a lot of different kinds of therapies and self-help use affirmations to help people get over humps self-confidence issues and more even the laws of attraction talk about daily affirmations and an infamous character jack handy on snl believed in affirmations for those of us listening that are old enough to remember that senator al franken was jack handy Mm -hmm. on snl before he was in congress it was probably due to his character repeating the affirmations I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. (laughs) But if you believe in the daily affirmations process, and lots of people do, then you need to fully believe in what you are saying. And if you are just saying words and not believing you are worthy of love, of food, of money, of sleep, of confidence, of health, and the rest, then you are just going through the motions. So I thought that was interesting, mm-hmm. but I especially like the Jack Candy well, part. Of course. <laughs> 
And half our audience is going to be like, what the what, hell what are you talking about? What are these old broads talking about? <laughs> uh, look it up. It's so worth it. It is. Number four, you're addicted to finding perfect quotes on social media. We all follow people on social media that do this, by the way. This made me laugh as I'm not addicted to it, but I like, so th- this was a double partner because the the way it reads makes it sound like you're just looking for quote, like the perfect quote. Right. But when I read more on it, it was also about going deep into the weeds on pe- what people are saying. So I think we're all guilty of a little bit of both of these things. Yes. I said, I think this one's funny because I'm not addicted to it, but I think a lot of people like it and I might be guilty of that. I said, Viola Davis, Sophia Bush, and Michelle Obama have some great quotes out there Mm -hmm. about females and do what you want and go for it kind of stuff. And scrolling through vacation, holiday, Instagrams is def a toxic trait for me. But this trait is about scrolling through the feeds for hours and getting lost in the weeds of Instagram. So like two hours plus and reading all the comments and getting absorbed in people's sagas and information. Mm-hmm. And that's the stuff that and that stuff that usually fuels you, like travel, food, vacations, fashion, is and that stuff that inspires you, the stuff that you're if it's toxic that you're scrolling through is the stuff that takes you down. Mm-hmm. This reminds me of like why I got off Facebook. Yes. I, yep. I wasn't on it for hours. But even for 15 minutes, right. it would, like, make me feel horrible. Yeah. Because I'd be like, this person's lying. This person's mm-hmm. fake. Oh, I'm super excited. I got to talk to one person or see one person that I really like. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of them are, you know. Or you get all caught up in an argument that doesn't involve you yes. or whatever. You're like, like what am I doing? This, none of this is my, like. <laughs> Not productive. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so that is is what this one's kind of about Mm -hmm. but it's mainly about instagram specifically but it could be facebook too right but it's how you keep your nose down for two hours and you're not living in the present Mm -hmm. again and you're not in the real world and it's stuff that's not necessarily making you feel good and then number five you vent to anyone and everyone who will listen Venting is normal and healthy, first off. However, when it's obsessive and you are venting the same story to whoever will listen, then it becomes toxic. Elephantjournal.com says about this trait, this is you if you repeatedly tell the same stories about your past and vent about the same exact issues to anyone who will listen. You're aware that you're secretly hoping someone else will give you the answer and clarity you need. Even when you get the answers you want, the relief is so elusive that you're on the hunt again for the next person who can give you the next dose of reassurance. They also point out, though, that it's important to notice when it becomes a compulsive act of desperation. Mm -hmm. So I think that, like, we might all be guilty of venting on some story, like, when work got horrible for me. There were certain Mm -hmm. stories that, yes, I repeated because I was like, this is the worst. But picked up my head, realized I got to get over this. It's different because you have an ongoing, I would say, 
abusive experience at your former job yes. where you didn't tell the same story over and over again. Yeah. There was there always was another story. You know, so that was your experience and that was so much of your life. And mm. so if you didn't share that, I, I think you would have had a mental breakdown. Oh, so, yeah. Which is I'd have been in a padded cell. Yes. Than someone sharing the same, the same story. couple of stories to any to anyone who listened because I think that maybe that fuels this this person. They get a certain I don't know if it's a I don't know if it's catharsis. I don't know what it is, but they're constantly searching for you know more people to share this whatever story with or trauma or perceived trauma or whatever. And I think that's, that that's that's probably what that is about. That's exactly what that is, mm-hmm. and that it's like what they say, like the next dose of reassurance that they've been wronged or something's something's wrong. And again, that the key is that the relief to them is so elusive and it's probably because they're not getting the reactions that they want Mm -hmm. that they keep telling that story until they get more of the reactions that they want. Yep. And then, but that also they're saying is fueling that. So then if they start getting those reactions, then it's almost like a positive reinforcement. Yes, yes. And so then they're saying that it becomes compulsive. And so just to notice that. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, that's really interesting. When we like started talking about this topic and what we were going to discuss, you know, I was thinking about like myself and, you know, do I consider myself self-aware? And and if someone asked me that question, I think I'd say, oh yeah, I I consider myself self-aware as I think most people would answer that question. If someone said that they didn't think they were self-aware, I would think you're probably really self-aware. You know, (laughs) I I think most people just assume that that they are. So I feel like I can admit my flaws, my strengths, admit when I'm wrong, except to my poor husband, much to his dismay, um, acknowledge my weaknesses. But in doing research on this topic, I think I've only like scratched the surface of what actual self-awareness is. So while I can admit negative things about myself, I haven't taken the time to really understand why I have certain flaws or weaknesses or really done anything significant to actively improve myself in those areas so I can move past them. I acknowledge them, but I don't really put any effort into overcoming them. In one of the articles I read, <laughs> it posed a challenge to the reader. If So if someone you just met said, describe yourself for me, I would say... I'm married, I have three kids, I work as a marketing director for a financial services firm, I play the piano, and I really enjoy doing yoga. However, that's just me describing my place and the context of the world and, like, my hobbies. It's not describing who I am as a person. So the real self-aware answer should be something like, I'm relatively intelligent, I have a good sense of humor, I have a bad temper, I struggle with anxiety, and I avoid conflict at all costs. The things I value most in this world are compassion and honesty. Like, that's that's who I am, you know, outside of being a wife and a mother and an employee and right. whatever. That's just your titles. Exactly. So self-awareness is the ability to focus on yourself and how your actions, thoughts, or emotions do or don't align with your internal standards. If you're highly self-aware, you can objectively evaluate yourself, manage your emotions, align your behavior with your values, and understand correctly how others perceive you. So after kind of reading that definition, I just came to the conclusion that I think I'm like 
50% of the way there, you yeah. know, that there's a whole other 50% that I need to work on. Um, Self-awareness turns toxic when you find yourself going into, like you said, this rabbit hole, like searching for justification for your feelings. But nothing's going to justify that. It just turns into this obsession where you're constantly searching for something just to affirm, you know, who you yeah. think you are or what you believe in and all of that. So building on the toxic traits you already outlined, number six was you regularly have mind-blowing realizations. You've identified something within yourself that you want to improve. You've done all this information gathering and you've reached this epiphany. You know exactly what you need to do in order to change whatever negative pattern of behavior that's getting in the way of your work or your relationships or whatever. But even though you've had this epiphany, you still can't seem to put it into action. Your brain has the information, but your mind can't execute it. So this I have some personal experience with. I've read quite a few books and articles about dealing with kids with ADHD and emotional regulation issues to gain a better understanding of how my son's brain is wired and how I can better help him. And just as importantly, what I shouldn't be doing because I am exacerbating certain issues for him. So even though I have a stack of books that literally go up to my waist at this point, I can openly acknowledge how my behavior can at times negatively negatively contribute to my son's behavior. However, I don't have not made any strides in, in, in changing it to be perfectly candid. So I know there are certain things he honestly can't help because of his ADHD, like fidgeting at the table and not sitting still and this and that. And in my mind, I know I should let it go. Just let it go, Liz, let it go. But I just keep correcting him because he's old enough where he should be able to sit still at the table, right? That's my mindset. And then he just gets aggravated and then I get aggravated and he gets aggravated and I get aggravated. And it's just this vicious cycle that perpetuates itself, even though I know better. Like I'm not embracing the compassion that I am saying I value. I should be more compassionate. And instead, I'm just getting aggravated. Because it's your own life. You know what I mean? It's harder when you're in the seat of it and this is your life. Mm -hmm. But you are very compassionate when you are with other things in your family and anything that goes on beyond your family. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like everything else. It's just there's this one thing that like is things that might trigger yes. you. Yes. And it's, it's it. kind of hard to be objective in that moment yes. too. And like my mindset is, and this is my, like very much, okay, well, this is the way things are supposed to be. And then why don't you do it? You know, and that's just my personality. Well, also our parents would have never Ugh. dealt with it. They no would have been like, way. no way. Like even my parents who aren't like East Coasters that were <laughs> conservative, they would have been like, stop fidgeting. Mm-hmm. Like I always got told to stop fidgeting and I didn't have ADHD, mm-hmm. but I always liked to fidget with something when I was talking. Yep. Yeah. And my mom would get so pissed off and she would yell at me all the time. Lindsay, stop fidgeting with the tape or scissors mm-hmm. or whatever. Yes. Yeah. And, and so, so I it's hard like, to let okay. go of that. Like, this is the way it's supposed to be. How come you're not conforming? And he like honestly can't help it. Yeah. Um, so number seven, trauma research has become an obsession. So this is when you find yourself spending hours Googling how to recover from trauma, understanding how your brain and nervous system respond to certain triggers. But even with all of that research, your body and nervous system still react to old triggers as if the trauma from the past is still happening today. So this was something, and I like I kept going back to this one because it was something personally I couldn't relate to or understand understand. So I don't think that this is something like I I do personally, but it is obviously an ex- 
what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, An indicator. Thank you. An indicator of toxic self-awareness. But, you know, I mean, I have a gazillion tabs open in my browser today because I'm looking for Give me an example of that because there's... For me, like, I have PTSD, I know, from my Mm -hmm. work, from my last eight years. But I also had PTSD after IVF and almost dying in the hospital with Brayden. Mm -hmm. But I went right away to therapy and had, like, light therapy and sound therapy that Navy or Army have Mm -hmm. after they get out to deal with PTSD because Baby Maker Doctor was amazing and knew that that was going to happen to me. And she said, I think you need to go to therapy and I think you need specific treatment around PTSD. Mm -hmm. And I was like, like, I don't, I've never gone to therapy. Are you kidding? And... I think it helped me get over it so much mm-hmm. faster. And then I remember the therapist was like, in six sessions, she's like, I don't think I need to see you anymore. Wow. And I was like, really? I'm like, you know, the doctor thought I'd be here for a long time. And I don't I don't know what this mm-hmm. like. I've never done this before. Six sessions? Oh, yeah, sweet. I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. What yeah, is this? Yeah, so I think that, let's say you didn't do that. Let's say you didn't have that therapy. I think that... This this trauma research, like you would still be having certain things would still continue to trigger you, right? Like whether it was, you know, the unknown of, you know, a, a medical situation or whatever, so, you know, maybe you'd be super overprotective with Brayden. What I'm not okay. sure how it would have yeah. manifested itself, yeah. but you would be pouring over the internet and have a gazillion tabs open in Google, like trying to better understand why you react to certain situations the way you do and Googling PTSD and figuring out when is this going to happen to me again and how do I stop it, but never doing anything to stop it. That's kind of my end. Like if I can apply it to your situation, that was sort of my understanding of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So I didn't have anything personally that I was like, oh, okay, like I could see... You know, where I have done that, or I could, I could do that, but I think, yeah, that that's kind of how it could potentially manifest yeah. itself. No. Um, on the other hand, number eight is something I can absolutely understand. You run through the same scripts in your head, so there's a broken record in your head, playing out every negative or embarrassing moment you have ever had in your entire life, and you replay those moments over and over again, agonizing over what you could have done or should have done because you still haven't moved past them. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that is me. (laughs) So I never lay awake at night wondering about all the things I have to do. I lay awake at night remembering an embarrassing moment from seventh grade, (laughs) and which then turns into rolling through every embarrassing moment I've ever had in my life, like an NFL highlight reel, until I'm literally sweating in my own shame cocoon. And then I try to push those memories so far back in my head where I can pretend they were actually bad dreams and they never happened. I just dreamt that. It never really happened. Super healthy. That's amazing. <laughs> and I was like, all right, should I share like one of these stories on the podcast so people could sure. understand? Give us an no, example. I'm not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I literally can't. They are they are staying in the shame cocoon, okay. Lindsay. They're staying in the shame cocoon. Okay, this is for <laughs> this is for get together later. Yes, exactly. This is after maybe like four glasses of wine. Okay. I'll, I'll break open the shame cocoon. Okay. <laughs> So, all right, number nine, your journal entries look almost identical from day to day. You write about the same issues and conclude with the same resolutions every time you write in your journal. So even though the journaling experience is providing an opportunity to acknowledge the issues or motivate you to change whatever might be holding you back, you know, I think it can be pretty powerful to see words on a page, you know, you're reading them back to you. Those are your words, your thoughts, your emotions. You actually aren't 
enacting change in real life. And maybe, I don't know if it was last summer, I thought about like, oh, well, maybe I should take up journaling. You know, life is so stressful. It would give me an opportunity to like get my emotions out and be very cathartic. But I just, I haven't found the energy to get started or maybe I'm just making excuses. And I feel like if I tried, one of two things would happen that I would be paralyzed about like what I'm going to put on the, the page. And I would just be like, forget it. I can't do it. Or I would just ramble like a madwoman, then get hit by a bus, and my family would find it and come to the conclusion that I was You're always crazy. a raving lunatic I was. So I have not embraced it, but I do know plenty of people that have, and it's like this wonderful outlet. So if you are able to get past your, your hang-ups, like I'm not able to, yeah. have at it. I'm with you on the <laughs> second part. That yeah. Someone's going to find it and be like, oh man, she Jesus. was nuts. <laughs> Uh, and the last one, number 10, you're caught up on all the new age definitions. So if you're constantly, and you kind of touched on this, if you're constantly redefining yourself, then you don't maybe really know yourself at all. Or maybe you're constantly looking for labels to affirm you are who you think you are. You know, you know your attachment style, your love language, your Myers-Briggs personality type, like all that stuff. But even with all these definitions, you're still experiencing the same unresolved issues. So again, defining something and acknowledging it is a great first step, but what you do about it is something else entirely. And one of the things that can help us practice healthy self-awareness is being very aware of the mind-body connection. And this to me is huge. And I know like you practice yoga and I practice and like we have a lot of that in our yoga practices. And it's I think it's just a really valuable tool to to be able to connect your your mind and body, you know, particularly when we're living in this fast-paced world and we're constantly multitasking and we're, we have sensory overload and we never give ourselves a chance to pause and truly be aware of how we are mentally and physically responding to something. So as you learn new information or are in maybe some stressful situations to try and like take a breath and be aware of how your body is responding. Like, do your shoulders get tense? Do you get fidgety? Do you sweat? Does your head spin? So for me, when I get into highly emotional situations, I Mostly see. with my kids. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of, like, there's a lot of sweating involved there's in meetings a, for me. There's a lot, a lot of sweat. Of, what was it? Mary, what was her name? Mary From Kate. SNL? Yes. Mary Kate. <laughs> totally. Yes. There's a fair amount of sweating and me high too. pressure work situations with me my too. kids. When we're in this like crazy vortex or whatever, I feel like there's like the sound of water rushing through my ears. Like, have you ever had that when you're like, oh my God, I think I'm going to lose my mind. So like, I feel like there's water no. rushing through my ears. So, I just like, get sweaty. How attractive. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Yeah, we need the butt sweat oh my God. deodorant. But it's like when I know, yes. and I mean, work is different. You can't just like log off of a team's call and be like, I'm sweating. I have to go. <laughs> but at home, you, you know, I I haven't tried it. I, you should try it. It's probably not a great look. It's probably not a great look. <laughs> when I feel the water rushing through my ears, you I know, go that's outside. What, okay, yeah. good. Yeah, because I'm like, this is my body reacting to like this stressful situation. So I gotta, we all have that. Next time I got to see when mm-hmm. I'm super mad at brain and what happens to my body but yes like I doing yoga this morning I am so thankful when I get into it fully because when your mind's not here there and everywhere Mm -hmm. because like you said it does make you stop and be purposeful and slow down and literally check yourself and check Mm -hmm. in with everything And it's especially important with everything that's gone on for the last couple of years, but also just in any kind of these kind of situations, I think, as well. I agree. I agree. And yeah, and you know, I know 
we talked about meditating before, which isn't really my jam or your jam or whatever, but you know, that's just another opportunity, you know, if that's something that you're into, like take that feeling and bring it into the real world situation. Like don't leave it there. Don't leave, you know, how you feel, you know, during yoga on the mat, like take it into the real world and, and try to, to be present in how your body is responding to certain things. I once took my breathing into my old boss's office, who I actually liked as a person, when he, like, told me some bad news, or I can't even remember, but I remember that I was so mad that I was like, okay, I remember the cool breath breathing, Mm -hmm. and, and I did it, and I did it, like, five times where you can't tell. It's not the, like... Big yoga breathing, because <laughs> that would have been just weird and awkward. <laughs> and I calmed myself down, and it was the first time, because I'm a reactive person, mm-hmm. it was the first time that I got so, like, chill and calm and was very, like, mm-hmm. okay. It works. I it used to totally do it before, like, does. Big presentations during sales finals. Just do that yoga, calming yoga breathing, and it, it does. It puts you into a better head when you feel your body respond. You know, in an anxious way or a stressful way. There are things that you you can do to yeah. really just bring yourself to a better place. Yeah. Uh, so I think ultimately we all want to be self-aware. We strive to be self-aware. We all strive to be better versions of ourselves and set better examples for our kids. But it's, you know, harder to do than than we might think. Like we can read 15 self-help books on the same topic, but still be no better off than we were when we bought the first one. So, and I am definitely not judging here because I am completely guilty of using information gathering as a defense mechanism and something to hide behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you find yourself having, you know, obsessive information gathering, quote curating, internet searching, personality quiz taking, that's actually preventing you from self-improvement or even self-satisfaction. Your self-awareness has officially turned toxic, my friends. So just a few things to be aware of. Yes. Uh, So, Linz, what was in the box this week? I'll show you with the box. What's in the box? What's in the box? So, nothing fun for me. No. Because... It's school clothes and school supplies time. Which I Liz. cannot even believe. Right? That's not up on us. And mm-hmm. because I was like a mad woman and I texted you and a couple of our friends because I saw this news clip that said, because I also saw another news clip that Christmas, you better be aware already of Christmas because the supply chain, because of COVID, <sighs> has literally effed everything up Mm -hmm. and i knew that for like major supplies like wood and yeah couch furniture yeah like mattresses and all this weird stuff and toys and like other stuff but then it was like school supplies and so i got on that because i was like usually brayden's list is the length of my arm Mm -hmm. and this year it was not that big oh good and it Half the stuff he literally had. Mm -hmm. So I only had to get a few things there. So that came. And then school clothes. Gone are the days where I remember still, like, all the way even through high school, being so excited Mm -hmm. about getting new new school clothes. And maybe that's the difference between boys and girls. And it probably is. But still, 
you would think when I'm offering to buy him whatever school cool school Mm -hmm. clothes he wants I'm like pick out some cool shirts pick out this like we've been looking at like the surf shops lately in like California and skate shops even Nordstrom's rack has like you know vans and like all these California kind of stuff he picked out a bunch we got them and he's like yeah Mm mm-hmm fine and it was like are you kidding me and they it's the difference between boys and girls like I was always so excited to pick out my first day of school outfit and you know have something brand new to wear I mean these kids would like they would sleep in this outfit that they wear to school the next day um that's what he does with his (laughs) friends and I was like okay what so that was what's in the box boring and not fun either for me because he didn't appreciate like like it and I was like oh look there's a nice van shirt because he's also obsessed with everything being white right now so it's like a white van shirt he was like "Uh uh-huh I'm like you pick this out not me yeah yeah they look at it as like utilitarian just to meet like you know all right I have to I can't go to school naked so yeah exactly (laughs) exactly so what did you get in the box Again, listeners of this podcast, all of you are all too familiar with the ongoing saga of my husband and the chipmunks in our yard. So this rivalry has become so epic, I would rank it, Lindsay, up there with like Biggie and Tupac, Batman versus the Joker, Rocky versus Apollo Creed. Like we are, this Hatfields and McCoys. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. So I happened to go into our Amazon account last week I don't remember what I ordered or what I was expecting. And I see this contraption. I'm like, the fuck is this? So I click on it. You bought a fucking owl house. Yeah. So. Brian's jealous. <laughs> so we went from rubber snakes to the fence to the LED sonar thingamabobby to an owl house. And he was quite excited about this and did extensive research on the exact height that he wants the owl house. So he's really hoping. So this is partly for the chipmunks. Partly because he really wants a pet owl. Because <laughs> owls are cool. They are cool. I mean, I don't deny that. And I would really enjoy having an owl in the Oh backyard. my gosh. Um, they can turn their necks. Legs, I know. Like, and they have around. like, their faces are just cool. Yes. I don't know. So, but he, yes, he was, so he put it up in a tree, tw- like 15 feet high. He said, I read that the larger owls like them higher off the ground, 12 to 15 feet. So rather than the baby owls go more like 10 feet. So it's up there. And um, and now he's just lying in wait for the day that he goes out into what the backyard. Did, does he, did they like a certain thing inside it? Oh, yeah. It's totally pimped. Um, he's got like wood chips and other shit in there. And I was like, are you going to put like a bearskin rug and yeah. like play Barry White and like see what happens? <laughs> So, yeah, he's gone full lunatic, and we're just Seriously, waiting for our owl if to you arrive. Get, if you get one more thing for this friggin' chipmunk scene, our our listeners are going to be mm-hmm. like, oh my god. I know, I know. Well, and I told him he was not allowed to do anything that would, like, proactively harm them. Like, I'm not, I yeah. won't allow, like, you to poison them. I won't allow, like, I. that's the animal lover in me. That's a no-go. And, like, yeah. all I need is, like, for my kids to go out in the backyard and see, like, chipmunk carcasses all over the place. Like, that's therapy. Like, I don't even think we can afford. Yeah. So, um, so we'll see. We'll see if the owl house does the trick. And we'll see if, I, you know, I we get like a pet, a new pet. I <laughs> We need to get Dan one of the Carl hats from Caddyshack. Totally. Totally. (laughs) Oh, so 
Oh, yeah. So I will keep listeners posted on both the chipmunk situation and if the Daly family gets a new feathered pet anytime in the future. Fingers crossed. So thank you, listeners, as always, for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Multitasking in Heels. Thanks so much.